Exposure. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 on the AM dial. Plus, we have our 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. Also, we have our friends out at 1240 KIUL out in Garden City, Kansas. Welcome aboard. Happy Saturday morning to you. Man, what a show. Hold on. I'm trying to. My computer's wanting to run a little slow this morning. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to get to, and we're going to cram it all into a two-hour program. A lot of guests today, which is awesome. Looking forward to chatting with each and every one of them here on the show. And welcome in. Good morning. Welcome to a Saturday. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines if you want to jump into the program. As in just a little bit, as you know, we have a big event going on tomorrow with all the Steckline Communication Stations. We'll get into that here in just a second. Bottom of the hour. Elizabeth Patton, Americans for Prosperity, the state director for the state of Kansas. She'll join us to talk about the uh, way the legislative session wrapped up for 2023 for taxes, the flat tax, budgets, school funding, heck of a lot more. So we'll get her thoughts coming up in just a little bit. Stephen Johnson, state treasurer, he'll kick off hour number two with us as he's got a fascinating conversation. And it's a part of the conversation we haven't really focused on much on the program as we talk about ESG and woke businesses and the way corporations are handling their business as an entity and how we're supposed to have a say on whether they actually succeed or not based on the decisions they make and then based on uh, whether we like that or not and the consumer markets that actually makes the decisions on whether they like that product, like the wokeness or the lack of wokeness in the country, as you know. We have Bud Light right now that's uh, in the tanks, and they're coming out trying to backtrack a little bit, saying, no, 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 it was just a one-time campaign with Dylan Mulvaney. Just a one-time deal. <laughs> it wasn't there forever. We promised it was only a one-time paid campaign. It, it's over. It's done. Let's get back to the patriotic thing and go back to uh, selling beer like we used to. But I think the branding has almost been tainted and damaged. The damage is already done. And are you willing to still buy Bud Light. So we have that coming up. Uh, also, uh, bottom of the next hour, we have Congressman Ron Estes. We sat down with him a couple of days ago, and we'll play that interview to wrap up the program at 1030. So holy cow, man, we have a lot to get to. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Uh, before we get into all the local issues and the statewide issues that we'll do here in just a moment, I do want to ask you a question, because the rebellious American in me is coming out this morning and look, there's nothing against all of our friends across the pond right now at all in any way, shape, or form. God bless you. We love you to death. But I'm curious because we have some listeners, we have some people that actually like to follow, and obviously the mainstream media is following what's going on with the official coronation of King Charles III, who's officially been crowned as the new king of England. And the fascinating part is, number one, the media is just here in America, nonstop coverage today. They're watching the procession, they're watching the crowning, they're watching the coronation. I don't know why we focus so much attention on it here in the United States, because we're not under their rule. And while they're an ally, they're a close ally, do we do the same with Ireland? Do we do the same with Israel? Do we do the same with every other ally that we have in the nation? We don't cover wall-to-wall coverage of the coronation and the crowning of their new leaders. We're like, hey, congrats, that's awesome, well done, Attaboy, let's get back to business now. So I have two questions for you. 
And I'm curious on your thoughts here. Number one, on why we cover so much of this and why it's such a big deal for us here in the United States is number one. And number two, why you're so proud to be an American and why we love this country so damn much. Because I have a very hard time, just this is me personally, I have a very difficult time understanding the concept of a monarchy. Especially a monarchy in today's times. Now, if it was a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, when they had the king, the king usually was on the throne because they were a great war leader, a warrior. They were a great philosopher. They were someone who had strength and who had power and showed themselves to be a great leader to where the people were like, yeah, you know what? You should probably lead us because you kind of got things going on right now. But this guy is literally an 80-year-old who has done nothing in his entire life except for live on the public dime who's finally gotten a job at the age of 80 years old, and that job is now the leader of that entire nation. That's a little weird to me. <laughs> That's just a little weird. And he, you know, from what I know, the little bit that I know about the guy is that he's a radical left progressive. He's got a lot of big ideas where he wants to be more politically active than the former queen, Queen Elizabeth II, and that he's got some plans that he wants to do, which include the environmental policy, which is completely attacking and destroying the private sector in England. That's going to bleed over into the United States with how much business we do with trade and with corporations that bounce back and forth on how much we actually work together. So it's going to leak into American politics as well. But just the basic concept in today's times... Again, not talking 1,000, 2,000 years ago when that was the simplest form of government and they had complete dominance and authoritarian control over their people. But the, just the basic concept of today of still living under a monarchy and going along with it. I'm seeing a lot of – I have a lot of Facebook friends that are on uh, – that live over there and they're saying, you know, it's, it's, you know God save the king and, you know, it's, this is awesome and we're excited for the new coronation and whatever. And that's cool. God bless you. That's awesome. But why? Like I just – the rebellious American in me is screaming outright right now saying what the hell has he done in any way, shape, or form to qualify – or to be worthy of a crown, just let alone the concept of a monarchy, of having a king rule over everybody like that, which I know in today's times is more of a symbolic gesture, and the legislature or the parliament is really the ones that still kind of do the majority of the political work in the in the country, but they're still on the public dime. They're treated like absolute royalty and celebrity because they are, quote-unquote, royalty. But why? What has he done to deserve the crown? Has he been a fearless leader? Has he been a great philosopher? Has he been one with the people? I, I mean, I don't know much about him, so maybe he's stood out to where people are like, man, this guy's great, but I don't think he has. And to take the crown at the age of 80 years old is just weird to me. But again, that's the Americanism coming out in me, and God bless the fact that I live in the United States, and I don't live over there because I probably would be one of those protesting over there being like, he's not my king, screw this guy, uh, just because that's the, <laughs> that's the mentality in me. I mean, we live in a country right here in the United States where I have a hard time supporting a president that only gets about a quarter of the American vote. And for those that really, wait a second, Andy, it really is, it's about a quarter of the vote. Because half the American people don't vote, just based on the choice that they don't want to go to the polls and actually make their voice heard. And then the other half are split between majoritively Republicans and Democrats with a few independents and libertarians and third parties flavored in there as well. So really, the, the leader of the free world in a quote-unquote constitutional republic, or as the media calls it, a democracy, we really have a leader that controls our country with roughly 25 to 30 percent of the American population support. And that's weird to me. 
and I have a hard enough time supporting that on both sides of the aisle as a Republican or a Democrat. But this guy didn't even get any votes from the Amer- uh, from the English people. They didn't get any support. It's just, well, I'm next in line because I was born into a bloodline. And this that, that basic concept is very strange. Do you agree or disagree? 316-721-8255. talk We'll get into some Candace issues here in just a moment. But I am curious about your thoughts on this issue. Do you follow it? Do you care about it in any way, shape, or form? The media is covering it wall-to-wall right now, thinking this is like the biggest thing to ever happen. And apparently, it's a big deal. So should we be paying attention to it? And should we care? Or is the American rebel coming out in you as well? And you just don't really care about what they do. Uh, giving someone complete authority over themselves without actually being qualified to do so. Let's go to the phone, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy. It's Sean. Mr. Sean, how are you, sir? Well, first of all, thanks for not misgendering me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can call you whatever you want to, I guess, in today's times. Yeah, well, Mr.'s fine. <laughs> but, uh, or, you can call me anything, but ma'am. <laughs> no, no, okay, well, there we go. We can do that. Okay, well, in answer to your question, I really could care less about the monarch, the British monarchy. I think the reason why it's so popular with a bunch of people over here, uh, and I don't know how many, but apparently enough, is... Uh, I don't know, something different, maybe. Uh, Is it kind of like this? I mean, we obviously, we almost, I in the in America, we don't idolize a king, although I guess some do when it comes to the presidency, but uh, we, we idolize Hollywood stars, which I don't know if that's better or worse, but we do have this sense of we need to idolize somebody of, like, they're the greatest thing on the face of the earth, and we're going to, like, yell and scream like Elvis Presley and drool over him kind of thing, and they seem to do that with a king or queen. We do that with Hollywood celebrities. I do that with really hard metal bands, I guess. So I guess everybody needs to have that quote-unquote idol to look up to. Well, yeah, and the type of people that watch entertainment tonight or whatever, they're the ones who, uh, and read People magazine, are the ones who uh, like to, uh, uh, you know, pay attention to, uh, you know, the late Princess Diana when she was alive and, you know, the queen, now now the new king, uh, because... uh, you know, they're just, uh, they're celebrities to these, to uh, uh, a certain number of Americans who, who, who uh, pay attention. Sure. So, uh, but, uh, and, and part of the reason is uh, because, uh, you know, uh, we were born out of England. If you stop and think about it, I mean, we were once a British colony and we, uh, we had to fight them for eight years with their butts in order to get our freedom. But, uh, that's probably part of the reason, but um, you know, the the uh, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, a king or a queen over there. They don't they don't have any real power these days. Not for not 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 for since the uh, turn of at least the twentieth century. You know, but yeah, that's true. They don't have a lot of power. Now here's now here's the big question, I, and we got to cut it short because I have to take a break here for uh, for an interview that we have. But here's the big question for you: um, Is do you would you support Prince Harry? who's moved out with Meghan Markle, who's caused all the drama. Obviously, they're a little bit of drama queens. But would you support him invading the country and overthrowing that throne and crowning himself? See, that would mix up the whole monarchy issue, and I t- <laughs> I'm down with that. Let's watch that. That would be entertaining to me. That would be fun to watch. Yeah, that, that would be fun to watch, but... Uh... <laughs> 
he's never going to be king, uh, William. Yeah. Will, I think it's his older brother. Yeah, the older brother, King William. Yeah, Prince William's height. I don't know. He just doesn't seem as awesome to me. Harry's at least entertaining. I love that. Sean, i got to take a break here, brother. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I guess enjoy the coronation ceremonies on TV today. That'll be a fun one to watch. Appreciate that. got to take a break here on Wake Up Wichita. Can just talk right here on the Big Talker KQA. program thanks for hanging out for a saturday morning it's kansas talk right here on wichita's big talker kqam as always we appreciate you hanging out with us big event going on tomorrow we're excited about it i will be out there mrs voice of reason will be out there little voice of reason will be out there as we get to have fun and as you know it's the one year anniversary of us being able to be part of this awesome thing the cinco de mayo celebration which technically Oh, this will be the second one, technically. Yeah. Uh, last year, we got to do it for the first time. And while Cinco de Mayo was technically yesterday, tomorrow on Sunday is when the actual festivities will begin with our Cinco de Mayo party at the Cedric County Zoo. La Ra- La- I got to do it right. La Raza hey. 102.5 is hosting that one along with all the tech line communications. So make sure to come on out. And DJ Regio. That's right. I said it right. right? Regio. That's right. Regio. That's right. <laughs> What's going on, brother? Dude, this is a big event. Dude, it is. It is. We're excited. Uh, this is actually, uh, yeah, our second, uh, you know, being part of Stackline. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's an amazing event. We've, do, we've been doing it for many, many years. And uh, this year is going to be big and bigger and bigger better and than better. ever. That's right. <laughs> so, okay. First off, it's going to be Cedric County Zoo, 10 a.m. is the start, correct? That is correct. Uh, it starts at, uh, well, it's this Sunday, um, tomorrow, 10 a.m. Um, that's when it starts. And then. So over at 6 p.m., we're going to have uh, five live bands uh, performing. All day long. Yeah, as well as a <laughs> DJ. Um, um, and also, uh, we're going to have lots of food, uh, lots of Mexican food. And actually, for the first time ever, we're going to have an, a Brazilian um, uh, food truck out there. Dude. Yes, which what is exciting. Brazilian food. So is that going to be like, what kind of food is that going to be? Um to be honest, I'm not sure, and I am. <laughs> it's be a but surprise. I, I am very excited to try it because I never tried Brazilian food. So I don't know that nice. I've ever tried Brazilian food either. The last time I think I even knew of a Brazilian food, it was like the uh, like the 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 meat on a stick with like grilled pineapple and stuff, and that would be interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's what they're gonna do, but man, I, that would be cool. Yeah, I don't know exactly what they're gonna be serving, but I mean, it's exciting, and, and you know, as well as like the classic tacos and enchiladas and. You know, tortas, now that you know what a torta Dude, is. Dude, I'm telling you, okay, for my <laughs> listeners to know, tortas are now my all-time favorite food in the entire world. It's like a Mexican <laughs> sub sandwich. That is correct. And it is amazing. Also, last year was the very first time that I had ever had agua de melon. Agua de melon, yeah. Yes. That is, uh, what is that, cantaloupe water? Uh, yeah, it's a cantaloupe water, uh-huh. melon water. It's, between that and the rice water, you would think, like, that sounds disgusting. It's really good. It is really good. And it's refreshing. You know, it's going to be, the weather's going to be great. Uh, we have a high of 87 uh, Ooh, for tomorrow, so it's gonna be it's gonna be good. And then the weather, you know, no wind. I mean, perfect day to perfect be out day. with the family. That's right. Now, last year, how many people showed up to this thing? Eleven thousand five hundred. 
Um, <laughs> just for the Cinco de Mayo. Just for the Cinco de Mayo Zoo. Yes. Um, so this year we're expecting hopefully a little bit more since the weather is going to be better and it's not going to be as hot as it was last year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be it's going to be nice. For those that don't know, which this may be common knowledge for most, but for those that don't know, uh, what is the celebration of Cinco de Mayo? What's the purpose of this holiday? Um, well, you know, this is actually more of an American uh, tradition, even though it is Mexican. Sure. But um, in Mexico, we don't really celebrate it. I was going to say, I didn't think they did. No, we celebrate more of the Mexican Independence Mexican Independence, which is in August. September. September September 15th, 16th. Usually it's that weekend um, or that, those two days. Um, But this is more of the, they call it the uh, Battle of Puebla. That's right. Um, That's when they, you know, Mexico... uh, they fought the French, and then pretty much they okay. Mexico won. And uh, I mean, but we never celebrated out there. But here is a huge celebration, and we want everybody to be part be part of it. Yeah, it's going to be great. So it's not just going to be for just the Mexican community. Anybody can show up to this thing and have a good time. That is correct. And and like I said, I mean, you know, it's like a it's actually the zoo's second biggest event. Uh, of the year <laughs> of the year of the year so so yes it, it is a huge celebration and everybody's welcome you know you're going to have a great time it's very family oriented yep. um you know they have the bands and uh, you know now I, what they bands have, are playing and for those again break down the styles of music for my because people that may listen to la raza because we have a lot of listeners that flip back and forth between yes. us and kqam and la raza wild mixture between those yes. but i absolutely love it yes so but you play and i love how you program that station as the program director for la raza 1025 is you have different styles of mexican music or just hispanic music in general but what what styles of music are going to be playing here okay uh well one of the bands uh we're really excited because actually they're you know it's going to be the first time they're performing it's a actual one of the local bands okay um they you know they play like more of the accordion mm-hmm. Uh, sax it. saxophone and and guitar okay. um you know it's, it, you know they include the drums and all of that style and then we also have the cumbia style which is more of the hype up the okay. ones that you love in the mornings mm-hmm. when you're driving over you know to work Dude, you get me pumped <laughs> up like crazy Vámonos. <laughs> 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 so it's more like a cumbia it's more like uh you know up tempo and and you know like th- there's a lot of horns in it okay and, and it's, it's just not like the actual band sure but it's it's really hyped up and then uh you also have uh the main uh the main band which is corona de nietos um you know they performed actually uh they played uh, on the air on here on kgso and kqam yeah and, and, and la raza as well That's yeah. right so um they have it's actually just three instruments okay it's two guitars and uh, uh a bass a bass guitar nice and but and then they're uh actually adding for this event an accordion for the first time. Hey. So okay. that's going to be very interesting and it's, it's going to sound amazing. Very cool. So different kinds of music, different styles that you're going to have. The food vendors, you're going to have just regular vendors to walk around, just check stuff out as well too. That is correct. Uh, we have booth vendors. We have uh, 22 uh, different booth vendors and we have eight different uh, food vendors as well. So nice. there's going to be a lot of variety. We're going to have, you know, um, yeah, many, many, many familiar Faces that you've seen on TV that are huge advertisers there. That's right. That's going to be there. Yeah. And like you said, you're not going to go hungry with that many food vendors. That's a lot of food vendors. That is a lot. That is a lot. And like I said, you know, everybody, you know, even though they sell a taco, a taco has each <laughs> food truck has its own style. Its own so. unique one. Yeah. So last year it was, again, it been opening up my eyes to so many different things that I've never experienced before. The Agua de Malone, but also Chicharron. 
Oh, the chicharrones oh with, with, with Valentina. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And again, for those that don't know, they're like, I don't even know how you describe those other than like. It looks like a wheel. It, it looks like a wheel. And they're they're almost like a uh, uh, like a Funyun, I guess. Yeah. Almost like a fun, But it's not onion. It's a Funyun. Yeah, yeah, but then it, you drizzle this Valentina hot sauce on it. And holy crap, man. Yeah. It's it, amazing. It, it, it's a little snack that, you know, might cost you 2 to $3. A yeah. bag for a bag. For and, a massive bag. Yeah, for a massive bag. And then you just, you know, pour down the Valentina in it. And uh, I mean, it's an, it's an amazing. I don't know. It's, it's made out of flour. Um, I know that. Um, and all I know is that once you put it in the oil, that thing, is it turns <laughs> this little wheel into a huge wheel. Into a massive wheel, yeah. I so, actually learned how to make those. I bought yes. some and I actually fried some up myself at home with some homemade Agua de Malone and that. Yeah, and you, then, you man, had the whole Cinco de Mayo experience uh, oh, at dude, home. Dude, I am ready. I am <laughs> celebrating. The only thing I'm missing now is going to be a margarita. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're going to sell them there. Hey, I love it. It's going to be the Cinco de Mayo party tomorrow. Check it out. It's at the Sedgwick County Zoo from 10 a.m. to about, what, 6 o'clock-ish? Yeah, 6 p.m. Everybody yeah. go there. It's going to be a fun day, so bring the kids, the grandkids, walk around the zoo, listen to the music, have a good time. And also, if uh, you guys, you know, any of our listeners have a, a membership, a zoo membership, they can get in for free yeah. uh, at that event. So it's free. included with yeah. the membership. All you got to do is just walk right in. That is correct. If you don't have the membership, you still got to pay for the ticket, but yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> it's going to be fun and it's going to be worth it. It's going to be good. DJ Ray Hill, we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, Andy. Oh, man, it's going to be fun. Cinco de Mayo coming up tomorrow. Check it out. We'll be out there with Steckland Communications. We may even have a little uh, table or a booth for KQAM, KGSO, and everybody else. We are. Yeah, yeah we are. it'll be fun. Yep. Hopefully to see you guys out there. We'll take a break here on uh, Kansas Talk, right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out here on a Saturday morning. Again, always a pleasure to have you along for the ride on Wake Up Wichita here and Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Always a pleasure uh, for you to join us to kick off another weekend. As you know, legislative session 2023 all wrapped up and done. Where'd we end up? It was kind of a mad dash right towards the end, as it usually is at the end of the session. But we had a lot to get to, especially when it came to budgets and uh, school finance and, of course, the taxes with the push to try and consolidate, do a quote-unquote flat tax that was promoted by the Americans for Prosperity, uh, put on with the Kansas Chamber of Commerce that helped write that bill as well. And a lot of Republicans got on board. Kansas Governor vetoed that one and not able to override that bill. So where does that leave us? in the state of Kansas. Really excited to have back on the program with us to give us all those financial updates and a heck of a lot more. She's the state director for Americans for Prosperity, Miss Elizabeth Patton. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, it's always good to chat with you. Uh, you can finally take a breath now that the session's over, but man, what a mad rush it was right towards the end because it was so close, so close for us doing some major tax overhaul in the state, wasn't it? It was so close. Uh, and that was the most disappointing part of session uh, was truly by the end of it, every Republican in the legislature at some point voted in favor of uh, tax cuts for Kansans. But then uh, some folks changed their mind and, and prevented it from happening. So that was that was just heartbreaking. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty devastating. Now, what was the reason for the change? I know there were two separate bills, and for those that didn't follow along throughout most of the session, we had the House bill that was really the one that got to the governor's desk sitting at the 5.15% flat tax. The Senate side had a little bit lower rate, if I believe like 4.75% or something like that, um, which didn't make it. But where was the compromise between the two bills, and why did we see some flake at the end? Yeah, I'd be happy to walk through that. So um, I... I was really pleased with the bill that ultimately uh, was sent before both the House and the Senate after conference committee. So you're right. Uh, We started out session with a deeper tax cut, a 4.75 single rate, and that was focused primarily on that single rate tax and and making it um, uh, honestly as deep of a cut as we thought we could still afford in the state of Kansas uh, at the moment. And also made us competitive with some of our surrounding states, um, including blue state Colorado, that still being blue has just by 63 percent actually voted for a single rate tax that's lower than ours considerably. So um, this is something we've seen on the move uh, around the country, and it really ends up being a net positive for uh, for taxpayers um, and state long term stability for, for tax. Uh, reform long term. So I'll say those two things and say, ultimately, the tax package the House put together included a slightly higher 5.25 single rate, but it also included a lot of other pieces. Um, So we raised the standard deduction uh, for the lowest of income so that every single Kansan got a tax tax cut under that bill. Uh, But it also did other things. It also had um, some other pieces of tax relief in it, Um, honestly, even including the governor's own uh, food sales tax to zero proposal, um, and and we thought that was uh, a, a really strong way to right-size our tax reform, um, and it, it removed the Social Security cliff. So for those on Social Security, um, it was of benefit to them as well. Um, so it really it covered everything, so much so that there were 10 Democrats who voted for it the first time it went across the House floor, which was very exciting because they recognized it was good policy. And then when it went to conference, they ultimately brought it down to uh, 5.15 and then largely very, very similar bill to what went over to the House and still had those two key components in it uh, when it moved over to the Senate. Um, And when it went to the Senate, it got um, it got, I think, 24 votes, but it was missing three senators. So we were pretty confident that without those three senators who were just absent, um, that evening, by the time they got to tax, um, that when they returned, they would be supportive of the veto override, and it would be it would be good. Um, most of those senators, those 24 senators who voted in favor of it, had voted before for both the 4.75 bill and, and the other bill um, that they saw. So they had two previous opportunities to vote for that. Um, All that to say is we knew we had to probably move one of the no Republicans to a yes um, and had not just us, but a lot of folks um, were very excited about this bill, including um, folks like community banks and uh, small businesses and and individuals. Uh, So a lot of folks were talking to uh, those senators to make sure that they felt they understood that this was super affordable. We have $1.7 billion in our rainy day fund for the first time ever, but it will continue to grow in there. And we have, we even with the tax cut, we still would have had a $2 billion surplus. 
<laughs> and um, extremely affordable, extremely conscientious, but still giving everyone a tax break. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, the first senator, uh, we, we did move one of the no senators. She had heard from a lot of constituents, a lot of AFP activists, too, and a lot of folks from other groups who were excited about it. And uh, she moved she moved over to a yes. Uh, and we thought, perfect. Uh, but as the vote went through, Senator Dennis Pyle uh, switched his vote to uh, to a no, uh, and Senator Rob Wilson passed. Uh, he eventually voted yes. Uh, but with Senator Pyle voting no, uh, we didn't have, we were one short of a veto override. Um, that put us on the path to potentially reconsidering the next day, tried to speak with Senator Pyle, um, well, the Senate president and some of those staffers and members tried to speak with Senator Pyle. Um, I spoke with a lot of other senators and others did as well, um, including Senator Olson. And then we had, um, we knew we probably needed to flip one more vote then just in case Senator Pyle was going to retain his no. And at the end of the day, um, we had, again, intentional conversations, activists calling in. We put out a call to action. I think nearly 250 people contacted Senator McGinn, and we walked through numbers. She spoke to other folks in her district as well. Um, again, sim similar folks who are saying this is really smart for our state. This is a new way to think about our tax structure, and it's great for families, businesses, low income, and everything in between. Um, and it's a good start and probably would get us to the path that we'd be able to cut even further, but maintain really healthy, um, um, a healthy state fiscal outlook as well, which is good. Yeah. Um, so what's the reason why did Dennis Pyle say that uh, he was against this bill? I mean, was it just not good enough? I mean, it's, it sounds like he's one of the purest not, types. He's not, he's not against the bill. In fact, the Social Security piece was something that he's fought for for years, and he voted in favor of the previous iterations of the bill. Um, he has said, and he said in his campaign for governor, that you know he, he says that he is on principle and not on anything else. But I think with his no vote, um, the comments that I heard happened, it was hearsay. He didn't speak it to me directly, but the comments that I understood that were said we're not related to policy at all. Uh, and Dennis Pyle voted uh, against it um, for, honestly, petty personal reasons and not on policy. Um, and, wow. and that's really sad to me because for elected officials, like, it's, it's not about them, right? It's, it's like, don't let that get in the way of the good work you're supposed to be doing for the state of Kansas if this is something you believe in. So um, I, I, it was really a shame. Um, and unfortunately, um, uh, Senator Olson switched as well again after, um, even after speaking to myself and other organizations to walk through everything. And he has always been supportive of that policy and has supported even tax cuts over the years. And um, his district supported it by 67%. Um, and then uh, flipped his vote at the very end. And um, even though we had two of the no votes come to come to a yes because they saw that this was a really good this is a really good tax bill. Um, Senator Olson said it went too far, but ironically, uh, he had voted for the even deeper iteration of it uh, on the 4.75. So, frankly, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and a lot of times, the most logical thing makes sense, and it's just 
you know, it, it, it seems like it seems like a, a petty decision and not one built on policy. But we have the votes in the House, so if not for that, uh, we we would have had tax relief in Kansas, which is um, the most the most disappointing thing. And I, I say that, and I say that for you know, especially those who are struggling in Kansas and where the amount that they would have saved on taxes, I mean, it's it's never too small of a thing. I criticized Laura Kelly for vetoing it. She's vetoed over 20 tax packages before, but <laughs> vetoing a previous tax package because she said, you know, it was a pittance. And I'm like, it's, it, money back to the taxpayer is never a pittance. And this one was stronger anyway than that. But, you know, th- this this matters. You know, that that can be the difference for some people in their monthly budget between, um, a, you know, being able to fill their gas and finish buying groceries or being able to put dinner on the table. And for others, like it's, I don't know, it's just, it's not for, it's not about them. Yeah. So well, well, it's exactly. money that belongs back to the Kansas taxpayer. That's very frustrating because it hurts, especially when you're that close, when you're literally one or two votes away from actually making something like this happen. And the people that are voting against it in in ideology and agenda actually agree with it, but spite it just because for the sake of spiting for personal vendettas for whatever reason, uh, right. that one hurts right. a little bit. Now, here's the bigger question with even Democrats jumping on board in the House. This is stuff, the, everything that was in this bill for the most part, which was relief for Social Security recipients, relief for uh, for property tax recipients and, and for people that are paying property taxes and then trying to actually give money back to the people of Kansas. These are talking points that Governor Kelly had even talked about. So why did she veto this at the end of the day, other than because it was just a Republican bill? But she talked about half of these things herself. I know. And honestly, I was surprised. Uh, we had a lot of activists reaching out to her to ask her to sign that bill. Um, and that's where Governor Kelly has failed to come to the middle again and again, where we have offered her things of her own agenda in full, largely, but also added some pieces that were a part of the legislature's agenda. And, and, and for Laura Kelly, it's either her way or the highway. And that's really disappointing. Well, not, not, surpri- not surprising, but frustrating as well and disappointing. Um, she's not governing from the middle. She, she vetoed 29 or more pieces of legislation <laughs> because that wasn't you know, anything that had substantive policy in it, she vetoed. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Like it, it had pieces in it that she herself championed, like the food sales tax relief, and um, and it, it was responsibly responsible fiscally. Um, so I I I think, to my view, yeah, she she also vetoed it for petty reasons because it was a Republican bill, um, which is the wrong way to govern. And she did it a mere few days after she signed herself a substantial pay raise. Um, so in our perspective. Uh, that was the most egregious part of it. She signed a bill that gave herself a huge pay raise, and then she denied that for the rest of Kansas. So, wow. That's it's, a shame. It is a shame. We're talking with Elizabeth Patton, State Director for Americans for Prosperity here in the state of Kansas. You can find them online at americansforprosperity.org. So now that that bill didn't pass, we had the same tax rates, the same tax brackets that we had before. Uh, on the budgetary side, however, where'd we end up on that as well? I know that we are looking at massive budgets, especially putting some in the emergency yep. funds and the rainy day fund. Uh, we had the school choice bill, which was a massive bill or at least uh, education funding. So where'd we end up with all these as well? Yeah, uh, happy to say. So the good thing is, to your point, we have a lot of money in our rainy day fund, which is very fiscally responsible. And I'm glad to see it. That has been one of our priorities for a long time. It was at zero and that's that's not good. 
but now it's at $1.7 billion, and that's great. Unfortunately, our budget also ballooned yet again, mm-hmm. um, and Laura Kelly is asking to spend more and more money every time, and it's a bigger budget every time. Uh, and we still, even with that big budget, still have now almost a $3 billion surplus. Uh, so they have a lot of money, and it would be really nice if we could guarantee some fiscal responsibility moving forward, uh, put some more teeth into our performance-based budgeting, really look at, we had a report that found about, in our view, about $815 million worth of fluff and waste that could be trimmed. Um, and, and that was, um, we would like to see that be taken uh, more um be taken more seriously. Now, hold on, Elizabeth. Hold on. According to the governor, we're on skin and bones. We are bare bones in these government agencies, which is why <laughs> we weren't able to actually take care of the COVID pandemic the way we needed to. We are barely functioning as a state government, right? <laughs> not true. Not true. We are we are overspending hand over foot. Uh, if we had cut that $850 million we discovered and, and put in a report, um, I nothing in people's services and functionality with state government would have changed at all. Wow. Unbelievable. We got just a few minutes left here, but uh, the final one on this school funding bill, I know that there's a chance that the governor could actually veto this one as well because there's not enough money going into special education. Do you think that's a possibility? And if so, then what happens then? Yeah, that's the entire, uh, that's the entire Fed budget. So then um, because that's the entire education budget, uh, Bill 113, if she doesn't sign it, I, I think, I, I believe it would require a special session specifically on education funding, um, which again is a shame because once again, there have been multiple opportunities to try to um, negotiate with Governor Kelly um, on the special education piece and, and, and have that included, but also come with that some real opportunities for families, right? So some opportunities for um, there not to be just a monopoly in education, but have we believe that parents and families can make the best decisions for, for their kids, and that's a good thing, and that we should have accountable um, education dollars, which I don't think occurs right now. Um, but even then, like, yeah, uh, there's, there remains to be seen if she chooses to veto that bill. Based on what we've seen, she probably will, but um, who knows? I, I've stopped trying to guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting to see what she's going to do there. But you're right. I, from what I've heard, at least, some of the political experts and pundits across the state are warning her not to veto the bill, even though she didn't get everything she wanted. Because if they open up a special session, it's technically a new session, and they could we could push for a school choice bill all over again and could possibly actually make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. So in that way, you know, then then that would be the that would be the silver lining is that that would give us another opportunity to really put forward um, some optimal uh, choice options for the state of Kansas. And I would be, I would be first in line to try to fight that fight to make sure that parents and families and students um, are put first and foremost above, above systems. Um, And and that's because we have to make sure our outcomes for our students are growing and increasing. Um, And that should be our focus, not just the brick and mortar and the systems themselves. We have to be focusing on the kids. Um, but we'll see what she does. I mean, so far, she, she likes to take her toys and go home. So I, 
I don't know. That that has been her pattern. We'll see. Yeah, but she's supposed to be governing from the middle of the aisle, working with Republicans, not being partisan. Man, what a what a wild concept. Uh, last last question for you. But as we now have the tax codes where they're at, the budget's pretty much set. Whether whatever governor does with the educational stuff, but going into the quarters where we're now looking at a potential recession in the state uh, and across the nation because of the high interest rates, the high inflation, every economic expert's like, hey. We're probably going to hit a recession by third quarter. Uh, luckily, we have our rainy day fund, but do you see anything drastic happening in Kansas uh, from jobs to some of the manufacturing to some of the industries that we have here if the economy does slow down? And is that a cause for concern? That's why I really wish she had signed that tax bill because it also included a break on on not only individuals, but also for some of the businesses in Kansas as well. Not some, all of the businesses in Kansas that was really reasonable, taking our corporate tax rate down a little lower. Uh, but as we've seen before, all of that provides more flexibility for uh, for companies and those who are, are job creators um, and those individuals and families to have a little bit more um, in their pocketbook moving into that. Uh, but what a smart way to do that while still, to your point, having this one point $7 billion in the rainy day funds, in my view, the combination of those things really would have helped Kansas be put back um, in, a, in a recovery more quickly if that does, in fact, happen. And if nothing else, uh, provide an economic boost nonetheless. I think it was very short-sighted to not, um, to not provide that for our state's economy. Um, and instead, I, I think um, they could, it could create a real problem. But nonetheless, Kansans are overtaxed. So even if it does, state government's fine. Um, I just hope everyday Kansas families end up being okay as well. That's going to be the big question, and hopefully we can survive it, and we're making the right fiscal responsible choices moving forward. It's Elizabeth Patton, State Director for Americans for Prosperity, one of my favorite organizations fighting for the limited government, the less taxes, the less government spending, trying to get things back on track. Find them online at americansforprosperity.org. Elizabeth, you did a hell of a job during the session. Thank you for everything fighting the session. Keep up the fight. Let's get you back on again real soon. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Have a great day. All right. That was Elizabeth Patton with Americans for Prosperity. We appreciate her time very much. A lot of information that she gave on that one. And boy, can you imagine Candace Governor Laura Kelly, who said she was middle of the aisle, was going to work on both sides of the aisle, was not going to be a partisan type of politician for her second term as governor, and even supported the vast majority of what was in that bill with the consolidation of the tax rates, with getting rid of the sales tax on food completely, as opposed to the teardown step right now, and then some of the relaxing of taxes on property taxes or the social security income for individuals across the state and yet she vetoes that bill why because she says it would take too much money away from our surplus and obviously the government's got to have money they got to have the priority with the amount of money coming into the state so uh she had to veto that one and her alternative was let's go ahead and instead of actually just lowering taxes for everybody the plan that she came out with with the end of the session, really the last week of the sign and die and and that last final uh, hoorah from the legislature was, let's go ahead and just give everybody one stimulus paycheck. Just give everybody a stimulus check. Let's not actually lower taxes for long-term gain for the individuals to excel and succeed and do well in the state. No, no, we don't want that. We're just going to go ahead and give you a one-time stimulus payment because that is the government solution for everything, isn't it? And now what we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic, let's just go ahead and give you a monthly paycheck or give you a, a, a stimulus paycheck, which we got, what, once or twice or three times throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. That's the solution from government. We don't really want to lower taxes 
to hurt us in the long term. We just want to give you a one-time paycheck, make you think like you're actually getting a benefit, and then we'll just go on and keep doing our business. That's all we're going to worry about. Don't you worry, ladies and gentlemen. We're here looking out for you. And we're the government, whether it's the federal government or the state government. Speaking of, when we come back in hour number two, right around the corner here on Kansas Talk on KQAM, State Treasurer Stephen Johnson, he'll be joining us as we talk about ESG. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, the ESG, the wokeness coming from the government, the environmental, the social issues, and businesses that have to get on board in order for them to survive and qualify for government perks or government grants or government projects. They have to be high with that ESG score, meaning the social credit score is officially here, starting with the corporations. And where do states fall in on this issue? As many states across the nation, including us here in the state of Kansas and our very own treasurer, Stephen Johnson, partnering, pushing back against that, changing the way that the state government invests its money. Interesting concept. We'll do some of that when we come back here right around the corner on Kansas Talk right here on KQAM. Hat tip to our friends out at KIUL in Garden City as well. Right around the corner, lots more to get to here on Kansas Talk on KQAM. Stay here. Greetings. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. <laughs> yes, it is. Welcome into the program. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas. What's up, Western Kansas? 1240 on the AM dial out there for you as well, man. Sorry, if you're watching the live video stream, trying to get myself hyped up, man. i got to get pumped up. got to get ready. It's a Saturday. going to do this. It's going to be a warm weather. It's going to be great. Come on, man. Get pumped up. <laughs> That's what I do. It's my thing. Don't worry about it. It's a Hoosier thing. What do you do? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. you want to jump into the program, we'd love to hear from you. Had a great hour number one, hour number two. Uh, Going to be just as bomb, baby. And bomb is in a good way. That's the new. I'm trying to be the new lingo, man. Trying to relate to the young generations. It's totally bomb. Not like it bombs, like it's bad, but like totally bomb. <laughs> I'm working on it. Maybe tweak that one a little bit. All right. So last hour, Elizabeth Patton, Americans for Prosperity, jumped on the program. We talked about the tax rates, the end of the legislative session of 2023. Where are we at with our education funding and our state budget and our tax rates? No longer will you get a flat tax, right? at least right now, in the state of Kansas. And you can thank two individuals for that. You can thank Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, which was expected because she, while said she was going to work with Republicans, you can see how well that's actually worked out for her so far. But we can also thank the purist and the personal vendetta individual, Dennis Pyle. Now, yes, this is the same individual that ran for governor that sabotaged the Derek Schmidt campaign for governor, Dennis Pyle, because Derek Schmidt wasn't conservative enough, wasn't Republican enough, tried to do the purist mindset. And even though he could only take 1.5% away from Derek Schmidt, that was enough to swing the election. So this individual, again, was the one that sabotaged our flat taxes in the state of Kansas for a personal vendetta for whatever reason. 
against the Republican Party. Now, my assumption is, is because he was pretty much shunned from the Republicans and from any committees in the state legislature and in the state Senate because of what he did trying to sabotage the Republicans, that that would be his way of retribution against them by voting against this tax bill, which means that he is completely and unequivocally unqualified to be an elected official in the state of Kansas. Because I don't care what personal vendetta you have, if you believe in the ideas, but yet you punish the Kansas voters by not voting for the ideas and supporting the bill, just because you have a personal vendetta against somebody else, that means that you are probably the lowest of the low and you do not deserve to be in an elected office. Maybe you disagree, but even if you support the agenda, but you don't like the people that promoted it, you would still support the agenda and vote for the bill because it's better for the people. But he's not looking out for the people. He's looking out for his own personal interests. So shame on him. We're going to try and reach out to him. I doubt he'll come on the program because he's probably too much of a coward to do so. But we'll try and get him on the program and explain why he would vote against the flat tax. Well, it's not. It doesn't go far enough. Well, so you'd rather have a higher tax rate than a lower tax rate. Even though you want a lower, lower tax rate, that's cool, but you would vote against a lower tax rate because you don't think that the tax rate goes low enough. This is the purest mindset from some in the ideologue mindset that really ruined politics for the rest of us, so we get to enjoy a higher tax rate across the uh, across the state. We get to enjoy a higher government spending. We get to enjoy not having tax breaks on our Social Security for those that are on it or on uh, certain property tax rates. We get to enjoy higher rates Thanks to someone who calls himself a conservative who doesn't like working with the Republican Party and working in gray areas and actually working in a tiered step plan because he's a coward. And we'll say it again, Dennis Pyle, you're a coward. And I challenge you to come on the program and explain why you voted the way you actually voted. 316-728-255, 316-721-TALK. I want to shift gears, though, away from that a little bit. There's an interesting concept that we haven't really discussed on the program here as we uh, I want to have on the program here State Treasurer Stephen Johnson as he talks about uh, where we're at with the budget, where we're at with the taxes, obviously with the legislature, but also when it comes to ESG and the investments of businesses, how they're operating in order for them to get nice little federal government perks and be able to get government grants and be able to get government uh, projects for investments or whatever else because of their social credit score. This ESG I know it's a challenging thing to understand for some. It may be something that's a little bit out there. This is probably one of the most dangerous new aspects the federal government has implemented ever. That is a social credit score that's not affecting you and I as the consumer yet, but it's affecting the businesses on telling the businesses they have to operate a certain way with a certain agenda in mind or else they don't get to function in society and get all the great government perks that they've been getting before. And how is the states responding as uh, State Treasurer Stephen Johnson, along with other states, are battling this when it comes to money that's being invested at the statewide level and working with certain corporations across the nation? This is State Treasurer Stephen Johnson. And Stephen, how are you, my friend? I am doing great. Great to get to be with you. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Always. It's always good to chat with you, and it's uh, it's always good to get an update. Before we get into uh, some of the legislative issues, we just saw the end of tax season. We've seen some of the tax revenue at the federal level. Uh, your thoughts and speculation on how we wrapped up uh, tax season for State of Kansas. Are we doing all right? Well, we had another good year, to be sure. We were consistently above our monthly estimates as we came into the consensus revenue estimating work. And um, that 
We had one more great year. Our cash flow has remained good. However, I think more than just a measure of the revenues that we have is a cautious eye to the future about can the economy stay as strong as it is. And um, to do that, we we have to be careful about regulation that we have at the state and particularly the federal level. Yeah, absolutely. There is concern, and a lot of investors are warning individuals that the economy is starting off decent this year, but there is the potential of the recession going into third and fourth quarter of the year, the slowdown of the economy, consumer spending on the downward trend. Uh, if that does happen, I know we have a near $2 billion surplus in the state right now uh, for cash flow, but uh, that could change pretty drastically, it sounds like. It can. It can change quickly. The good news is that that balance makes us confident through the next year. So we're in good shape through then. Um, the addition that they made in consensus revenue was much smaller than had been done in past estimating periods. It was about $200 million over the next two years. And um, that that shows that we aren't continuing to accelerate at the rate that we were fortunate for the last several. So nonetheless, with the balance that we have with the legislature continuing to watch expenditures as they can, having to deal with inflation in a number of areas, uh, we we will be able to meet those bills through the next year. That is good news. Let's talk about some legislative updates. Obviously, the big discussion was the state budget and some of the state taxes with the ongoing debate about the flat tax in the state of Kansas. The governor vetoed that one at that 5.15%. But what would that potentially look like in the state? And as we move forward, is that going to change some of the revenue flow in the state? So uh, the flat tax would change the revenue flow. However, given that we have had revenues outperforming it, performing expenditures, uh, the legislature worked to craft a solution that would pull those total revenues more in line with expenditures over time. So the change to the flat tax from the tax rates that we have is certainly a change in policy. Uh, However, by only going up to 5.75, the major change is is just not that big a hit. Um, It's absolutely a reduction. It's a reduction that taxpayers deserve. Um, but it was crafted in a way that we could continue uh, to meet our expenses. That is good news. That is good news. On the same front with the state budget, I know the other hot topical issue has been education funding, obviously always a fight for an increase. We did try to push a school choice bill this year as well, which didn't get a whole lot of traction, weren't able to really make it happen the way we wanted to. But with the increase in educational funding, is that going to dip into any of these surpluses or cause an issue down the road? Well, education funding certainly is the biggest challenge to continue to meet what we have uh, on revenue, and the increases in education from the lawsuit is a huge challenge to to continue to drive that. Um, However, that was part of the planning, looking at those increases that are locked in from the lawsuit. How do we look at that with our revenue projections to be able to meet it? Legislature is still working hard to try and find ways to meet the educational needs and still control that growth in expenses. So that's one of the open issues that we have at the moment uh, that I know they'll be grappling with in these last hours. Sure. I love it. We're talking with State uh, Treasurer Stephen Johnson here for the state of Kansas. Let's talk about the other hot topical issue, which has been a concern at the federal level. I'm glad we're trying to address it here in the state of Kansas as well, because this could be uh, down the road in the future, probably one of the most dangerous things that we could go down, which is this ESG movement that the Biden administration has been trying to push 
essentially a social credit score for individuals and for corporations if you have to have a high environmental rate, you have to have a high uh, rate for supporting LGBTQ members or whatever else is going on out there. It's strange how now the government is deciding on who qualifies for grants or for loans or for certain financial projects from the government based on these scores that they're pushing. The state legislature this year really tried to push hard on protecting ourselves from that, but where are we with this situation? Is it a cause for concern in the state? So all of the above, we could talk about this for a long time, and I'll take as many minutes as you'll allow us. You're right, it's a huge issue at the federal level. I want to talk about that. It's absolutely an issue at the state level, and it is a big issue here at the Treasurer's Office. So where are we? We are in good shape. Uh, I have to commend the legislature for their work and their passage of the bill that will ensure that Kansas taxpayer dollars are invested in ways that maximize returns and don't advance those political agendas. That has been a key that we've tried to work with and work with them to find out what are our risks in Kansas and how do we make sure that assets are based focused on free market principles in the traditional non-politicized meaning of fiduciary duty. So that is what House Bill 2100 does, among other things, and it, it addresses the issues we have in Kansas. I'd love to go into one of those if we have time. Please, yeah. uh, well, the, the key issue is with proxy voting. We don't happen to have a lot of issues with investment selection as we invest our domestic equity passively or indexed based on the fact that there's $6 billion and we think our managed money in the end would essentially look like the index. But our issue is with how those proxies are voted by our money managers. And I think a lot of folks are familiar with the ExxonMobil scenario where a entity came up with a slate of four green energy candidates that they put to add to ExxonMobil's board. ExxonMobil added one activist on their own, hoping that would satisfy them. They managed to get three more elected a year ago, June. That put four directors out of 12 on Exxon's board favorable to decarbonization and moving away from what ExxonMobil does as the largest U.S. oil company to uh, have to focus their incredible resources instead on things that aren't, are not their core competency. Um, two more directors, and you tilt the scale of power, and that's, that's a concern. Wow. As you work through that, the BlackRock managed shares in the Kansas pension were voted for that slate of directors. That's what we want to make sure does not happen going forward and has been the motivation for the legislature and myself to say, how do we make sure that Kansas dollars are invested in Kansas interests? So um, a lot of detail that's there. And the legislature then has worked through this critical first step, but the next is to work through implementation. How do we make sure we get it right with the CAPERS board? And uh, again, we just want to look for what is the highest and best return. How do we consistently vote for that fiduciary responsibility? Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. First, let's go into the actual company itself with Exxon. So you're telling me that with their board, they're hiring these environmental anti-oil individuals to run an oil company to start moving the oil company away from actually producing oil and doing alternative energies as the nation's largest oil producer. That, to me, seems like one of the dumbest moves you can make as a company. 
Well, and that is a great point. So I went into the details and to bring it back up to the level, what has been happening is some money managers have chosen to advance their political agenda through how they allocate capital. And that's what we do not want to do. We want to allocate capital to the highest and best returns. You've got the best mousetrap. We're interested in your product. Yeah. Um, that's that's how we that's how America grows, and that's how we want to make sure Kansas assets are invested and not follow those directions. Yeah. Yeah. Where it does come from is policy, and that is another battlefront. Um, we just don't want to wage it here on the economic one of investing assets, but. With what has been happening at the SEC, at the U.S. Department of Labor, trying to wrest that control back and force these policy initiatives does happen through those channels, but we've got to continue to support our congressional uh, delegation, um, 4th District Congressman Ron Estes and others that really worked on the bills to try and fight back. Uh, You may be familiar with uh, Joe Biden having vetoed a uh, bill that the Congress, on a bipartisan move, presented to him that would have blocked the U.S. Department of Labor from their rule, which greenlights ESG investing in employer-sponsored retirement plans. Again, I would argue the Department of Labor is doing a lot of things that don't really fit for the Department of Labor in managing uh, investment rules on retirement plans. Um, but that's one issue. The SEC has put forth more regulations this year than any other year under Gary Gensler. We've got to help them push back against these regulations at the federal level. Yeah, amen to that. This is an entirely different conversation that I don't think we've really had or many consumers and many residents in the state really even think about is the investments that the state government does and who we actually invest in. Because you're right, I mean, what's the point of investing in a company when it goes against the actual agenda and views that we have as a state as a whole. So if we are going to start pulling out from ExxonMobil and some of these other places that are going woke and promoting this whole ESG movement uh, that's against our values, what are some of the other options? Where can we go that actually uh, goes in line with what we actually stand for as a state? Yes. So the good news is on our investments that we make, those are across the board in the great U.S. companies that we want to have exposure to. Yeah. What we want to make sure is that we also continue to in, to use our influence in the control of the boardroom to make sure that those companies continue to be great and continue to be managed in the objectives that advance the all of the above strategies that we need in the U.S. to meet energy policy, to meet food policy. Those demands are only getting more difficult. We need our best minds unfettered applied to the problems. Yeah. Are other states working on this same issue as well? Oh, my goodness. It is. uh, Yes. We have a great association of treasurers and auditors and others that are focused on this um, who try to identify kind of that tip of the spear where we can help whatever those issues are. Um, The uh, state of Pennsylvania led us in putting together a letter dealing with some of the issues that have recently come up with trying to tilt the scales on on loans and mortgages and who pays more and who pays less. So uh, trying to stay ahead of some of those issues to at least make noise and uh, raise awareness on where, where we're infringing on the free market. Sure. If enough states are doing this, including us here in the state of Kansas, obviously, if enough states are, start moving away and changing their investment strategies based on these companies and some of the platforms they're taking – 
Do you think that's going to wake the companies up and actually make them change and say, hey, wait a second, maybe we're going down the wrong road here? Or do you think they're so um, dependent on maybe some federal government grants and maybe state funding and that sort of thing that they're just going to go along with it because, well, now they're, quote unquote, too big to fail and they don't care because now they become an activist company as opposed to just trying to make a profit? Yes. So there's absolutely some of that where I'm going to go along with this because I want to just not gain more trouble from the federal government. (laughs) So that can happen. Um, But yes, we can have an influence. Uh, It is red states that have banded together. I believe there are 22 states currently that are active and working together, and we can accomplish so much more together than, than I can alone. And so that is a very helpful association. However, um, you can imagine some states that may not be engaged in that. And there are a couple of states on each coast that have quite a bit of population. Uh, so to, to move the dial is still a big lift, and it takes a lot of effort to raise that awareness to, to the people who do care across the country but are not always well represented. That is very true. Moving mountains is always a difficult task, especially when they're so big because we've put them in a position to be as big as they are that now they feel they can do whatever they want to. And we have to kind of give them that reality check again. Where's the governor stand on this, by the way? Governor Kelly, is she on board with wanting to change that? Or I'm assuming being on the other side of the political aisle that she's probably all for this ESG stuff. And why aren't we just getting on board with it? So it's a good question. Um, I'd say we don't fully know. Um, it is an issue that the governor hasn't engaged in greatly. As we came through this particular bill, the governor let it become law without her signature. Oh. So uh, clearly not an advocate, um, but wasn't willing to take on this particular fight. Very interesting. She didn't want to. She's that's not the hill she wanted to die on. She'd rather die on, I guess, identity politics and LGBTQ issues. So on the yes, same realm, but a little bit different. Issues. Yeah, right. Very right. interesting. I love it. It's uh, State Treasurer Stephen Johnson here for the state of Kansas. Last question as we uh, it's kind of wrap this up here. But on this issue, now I know that we had this bill this year. What's the next step in this fight as we continue to change how we invest and how we look at certain corporations across the nation and how we partner with them? What is the next step in the process here? So the next step, now that the bill is one that we are following, is to work with uh, the Kansas Public Employees Retirement System and the board in implementing and finding a, uh, a service or way of tracking our proxy votes proactively and directing them rather than the traditional means, which has been efficient in the past. It has worked to let managers vote those shares, but we now have to be proactive in looking at at how those are going to be handled. Interesting. It's going to be a long process, but if we can get this done, again, Kansas being the great trendsetter on major issues, the ESG one, as I mentioned, I think it's going to be one of the most dangerous because if this, let's just theoretically say this goes full on through and the, the all the states get on board, the federal government pushes this hard, uh, we essentially have to be left-wing political activists in order to participate in society at all. I mean, that's the direction it seems we're going, isn't it? It is the direction that we're going and uh, finding steps that we can take and there are more steps to take as we look at what are what are the next envelopes that are going to be pushed. Uh, this is the one that we have been pushed on currently. Um, the bill achieves that objective, but what's next and how do we work with that? And uh, several remain engaged in, in trying to look out for, for what we do next here 
in other states that are, are fighting similar battles, and uh, and together we'll get it more figured out. That's what it's all about. I love it. State Treasurer Stephen Johnson. Stephen, keep up the fight, my friend. A lot of stuff going on from the Treasurer's Department, which a lot of people I don't think pay a lot or as much attention to, so we appreciate everything you're doing. Let's get another update here soon. I'll look forward to it, and thanks for today. Always a pleasure, my friend. Right back here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. All right, that was uh, Stephen Johnson, State Treasurer for the state of Kansas. Interesting information there, and you know why I love, again, why we live in the state of Kansas is because we are on the forefront, my friends, battling these issues, including the CSG, including some of the uh, wokeness coming out of the federal government. We are on the cusp of battle. We're on the forefront, I mean, between the Treasurer's Department, the Attorney General's Department, even the state legislature, trying to remind individuals what federalism actually is and bringing power back down to that statewide level, blocking that. Uh, but this ESG issue is very concerning because if the governments are investing in this money, then how does that allow us as the consumer to make the decision ourselves and to hold the, these businesses accountable? How do we do that? Because if they're investing millions and millions of dollars, then matter what we do as the consumer. The power's been taken away from us. We're supposed to decide whether we like something in the private sector or not. We're supposed to decide whether we like a business or not. That's the way it's supposed to go. But it's not. Interesting conversation. We'll stay on top of that one and have Stephen Johnson back on the show as that issue progresses. All right, we'll take a break. On the home stretch, baby, last half hour of the program, when we come back, Congressman Ron Estes, we sat down with him a few days ago, and we'll replay that interview on what he had to say on issues going on in Washington, D.C., the debt ceiling debate. Another major one, our federal budget, our federal debt ceiling. Biden says he's not willing to compromise or talk on that issue. Are they finally starting to come around now that Republicans passed a bill out of the House of Representatives? That and more coming up right around the corner here on Candace Talk on The Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. To Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program on the home stretch here, last half hour of the program. Always appreciate you hanging out with us here on the show. Good morning to you. Happy Saturday. Moving through your weekend. The first really hot one as well here in the state of Kansas, all over the place tomorrow. Man, you're 90 degrees up in the low to mid 90s. That's going to be insane when we're not used to that. I was so happy my energy bill was so low this last month because I haven't had to turn on the heater or the AC. Just been kind of floating. It's been perfect. And boom, record busted. Now we got to turn on that AC. Or we can just turn on a whole bunch of fans. I guess we could do something like that, too. Welcome in 316-721-8255. I want to jump right into our next interview as we sat down with Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th Congressional District here in South Central Kansas uh, just a few days ago to talk about the debt ceiling as he is part of the Ways and Means Committee, also on the Budget Committee as well uh, as he's crafting the 2024 federal budget and helping be part of that process. Also, it's what's going on with the debt ceiling as well. Really interesting information coming out of there because now that the Republicans have passed a bill in the House of Representatives, the Democrats are looking a little silly on the federal level because now they're just blocking it. No, we're not going to cut spending. But yet they won't come up with an alternative plan other than just raise the debt ceiling willy-nilly without any type of correspondence, any type of uh, control. In fact, the Biden administration is now saying that even having a debt ceiling at all is unconstitutional. 
I know. Kind of a wild one. So we'll sit down with uh, Congressman Ron Estes about that just a few days ago. And this is what he had to say in studio with us here for the first half hour of the program. Congressman Ron Estes, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Andy? It is great to see you. First off, congratulations, because not only were you in the top 80%, you were at 97%. So you're up there with like those fringe radicals of like Ted Cruz and those guys. Yeah. So it, congratulations. Well, and I don't think it, I don't think it's fringe radicals. I and mean, when you th- think about what's important for the country, think about what's important for people in Kansas. Common and, sense. Yeah, it's common sense. Common and, sense. and the legislation that uh, comes before us and how we should vote and what we should support and what we should oppose yeah. uh, just makes just makes sense in so many levels. Well, it does. With the issues, especially that we're seeing today, just a common sense vote is predominantly a conservative vote. I mean, you you understand the difference between a men and women and boys and girls. And I know that apparently is a radical position to take today. It really is. And that's sad. <laughs> you know, you think, you know, in the 1970s, we passed the Title IX Act. I mean, federal government passed that in order to, to help encourage women and girls to participate in sports. Yeah. And now they're throwing that all out the window by uh, letting boys compete against girls and, and, and actually denigrating uh, the accomplishments that they've achieved. Yeah. Well, and a shout out to our Kansas State Legislature and how they were able to override our Democrat governor's veto on that issue. I know Florida's working on the same thing. Not the direction I wanted to go for the for the program with you, but I had to throw it out that it's a major national issue, and I'm glad we're finally starting to it. And it said we have to address it, but at least we are. It, it really is. And and that I mean, that's just one of so many issues that, that, that don't get enough talk about what's really the common sense around things and yeah. talking about, you know, how much federal government's really spending and how much growth of government and, and all of these things that kind of get uh, uh, propagandized or, or swept under the rug or, or misconstrued and misinformation. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, when you come in, I know we always love to talk about it and we kind of nerd out on this segment, but the fact that you're kind of at the head of the realm here with both the Ways and Means Committee, the Budget Committee, uh, we like to talk about finances on this program. Last week, you guys presented and passed a bill that would address the debt ceiling issue that's ongoing. Kevin McCarthy trying to talk with the Biden administration. That's not going very far right now. But at least you guys passed something. And I have, you know, it's a decent bill. I don't like the fact that we did raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion in this bill. But it shows that you guys are willing to work with Democrats who are not willing to work with Republicans on this issue right now. But how do you feel about it as it kind of came out? Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it, President Biden and, and Chuck Schumer have been talking, you know, for months now in terms of saying, just raise the debt ceiling, make it a clean debt ceiling increase. Basically, what they want to do is just continue spending money. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem's not what our debt level is. The problem is that we're spending more money than is coming in. So, you know, President Biden said, you know, he, he'd had a meeting with, with Speaker McCarthy and said, you know, let's talk about where we're going forward. That was 89 days ago, mm-hmm. and he hasn't done a thing since then to address our debt problem. Yeah. You know, when we, when we look at where the federal, where federal government spending is this year, we're actually borrowing one out of every $5 that's being spent by the federal government. And that's just not sustainable. And so until we get to the point where we're actually getting our overspending under control, we'll never be able to pay back the debt we have. So that that was the piece that as we were focusing on this bill and and passing it forward was we've dug such a big hole. And I I say we, it's Congresses over the years have dug such a big hole uh, that we've it's going to take longer than one year to dig out of it. Yeah. And, and that was the point that we were looking at is what's a common sense away? I mean, we know it's going to take some time, so let's extend the debt for a little bit longer. Let's start to put in some some rational limits on the growth of spending. 
we're, we're not even doing cuts. We're, we, what we've included in the bill was spend at the levels for fiscal year 22 for the next year. Now, that's just 18 months ago. So if we're in such bad shape that we can't spend at the same levels we were 18 <laughs> months ago, that's a pretty bad state for, for the United States. And and then also COVID's epidemic, the pandemic level is over with. Yep. So there's billions of dollars out there that's not been spent. So let's call that money back. Uh, let's take it off the books in terms of uh, money that's out there to spend and say, you know, let's let's focus on what do we need to do going forward. And 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 looking at some some regulatory reform, looking at common sense approaches to uh, things like if you're getting benefits, whether it's food stamps or or other benefits, right. and you're able-bodied, and you're childless, you should work. I mean, Americans are generous people. We want to help people. You know, give them a hand up to to help them with that process. Uh, but but Americans do expect that there's some there's some responsibility on the part of the individual actually work as well again there's that radical position again there there's a lot of stuff to break down there so let's start off with the beginning of this as like you said first off we have a lot of covid money that was passed that we haven't a lot of which is weird they just passed a random here's a massive amount of money now we don't know what to do with it why we're not reappropriating that to actually take care of some of the debt and extend out that concern of the government shutting down a debt ceiling because we're what three and a half months unfunded right now for the state for the federal government until the end of the uh fiscal year in september uh well that's common sense. Again, why wouldn't we do something like that? How much money is sitting there right it now? It really is. And, and you know, there's by estimates, there's 50 to $60 billion. That's <laughs> not been given out to states, not been given out yeah. to businesses, not been given out through Paycheck Protection Program or some of the other good programs that were out there. Right. And, and so and how this came about was once we overcome the initial problem with COVID, and, and and President Trump's Operation Warp Speed developed the vaccine. We had the vaccine rolling out. President Biden came into office. He had to do something to say that, you know, an accomplishment for his first 100 days. So he passed this ARPA bill that was his first 100-day success and, and called it a COVID relief bill. And in reality, the COVID dynamic was already in the downward spiral yeah. and didn't need to do that. And, and so – Money out there that wasn't needed to be spent and had the side effect, though, of causing all this inflation that we're suffering through right now. Uh, But the money's just uh, lingering out there and not been spent. So, you know, let's let's pull that back in. Uh, If the the emergency situation's over, yeah, we we can always uh, there's always things that we have to spend money on. But let's not. Let's not wastefully spend what we have. Well, yeah, let's find the priorities of what we need. That's the, supposed That's to be right. the budgetary process. Again, before we went to the Obama administration, we had the actual 12 appropriation bills. We actually had you know it set in stone to decide what we're going to fund, what we're not going to fund. And by the way, at that time, our debt was only 40% of our actual GDP. Now we're at 120% of our GDP, which means if we still stole every penny from man, woman, child, and business in the country right now, we would still not have enough money to pay all of our debt. We've never been in a situation like this before. While the Biden administration says, well, you guys have always just willy-nilly just raised the debt ceiling, we've never been at this level before. we got to do something a little bit different. It really is. I mean, the they the budget that we're operating under, the appropriations that we're operating under this year, borrows another $1.5 trillion. And President Biden's proposed budget for next year is to borrow another one point eight trillion dollars <laughs> with no end in sight and actually looking at over a 10-year period increasing our debt by 17 trillion dollars 
Now, they tried to mask on it. On top they, of the 32 that on we're top on, of right? The 30, yeah. yeah, 31 plus that we're at right now. And they tried to mask it by saying, well, we're not borrowing $20 trillion, so therefore we're saving $3 trillion. Mm. I mean, that that's the kind of games that the the the, the counting process that they use uh, shows up in that. Are they doing the same thing when uh, this budget that you guys have says to increase government only by 1% every year now? Uh, as far as I'm aware, a lot of the social programs grow by 4 5 6% every year. So according to them, that's a 4% budget cut right there, and it, everybody's going to die in the streets. It really is. They make the wailing and gnashing of teeth that, uh, oh, it's a cut, it's a cut, when in reality it's a smaller increase <laughs> than they wanted. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if, if we have an increase in revenue, because we have a good economy, we have strong uh, economic growth, we bring in more tax revenue when that happens. But if we spend more than we bring in, then it, it keeps us underwater. And that's the piece that we've got to rein in and make sure that that, that uh, spending gets knocked down to where uh, – ultimately where where our growth in revenue comes from. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Congressman Ron Estes, 4th District here in the state of Kansas, my congressman in the Kansas area of South Central Kansas. Let's talk about those social programs for a second. If we get people back onto actually needing to do work requirements, go through training, actually apply like we used to prior to the COVID, back to the old norm, is that going to save us some money on some of the social programs that we're, we've been spending on over the last couple of years? Is that going to help out this process? It, it really will. I mean, going back to when... President Clinton was in office. He signed the Welfare to Work program, yeah. uh, which was the first step at being taken of saying able-bodied American citizens who are receiving hand-ups from from their federal taxpayers uh, ought to go to work. Yeah. And 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 it's a it's a minimum amount. What was in the bill was uh, twenty hours a week. So it's not like it's a burdensome amount of of uh, impact on people. Sure. Over the years, though, since since President Clinton signed that into law. A lot of uh, exceptions have been allowed, and states have been allowed to waive, and and so uh, and and COVID made it even worse. Yeah. So a lot of those waivers are in effect, and in multiple states now, you don't have to lift a finger to go to work and get these uh, federal benefits from other taxpayers who are paying the money in. Yeah, it is unfortunate. We got to take a break here in just a second. It is said when the Biden administration says that this bill, or Chuck Schumer is the one that said this one, that if this pa- this bill passes, that you guys proposed, it would cut money from working class and middle class Americans. Although I thought that middle class meant that we wouldn't have to need these certain programs, but yet it's going to cut money away from them, uh, so that way they can't work and get their social programs all at the same time. Kind of a fascinating concept there, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, they'll make up any kind of propaganda spin or misinformation <laughs> in order to attack some common sense things. So we've talked about this debt ceiling bill. Let's move forward a little bit to, let's. however this ends up, which will be interesting to see by the end of this year, again, we're unfunded by, they say we could potentially shut down early to mid-June, so we're about three, three and a half months out that we had to figure out funding for. But let's go to the next fiscal year. Obviously, you're a big part of that as well, writing, working on the appropriations. Again, we haven't had an appropriation, 12 appropriations bills since before Obama. Can we get it this year? Is that a possibility? Yeah, it, it's it's a possibility. It can happen. There's a lot of moving parts, yeah. uh, a lot of distraction with the, the debt limit discussion that's going to happen. Uh, some of this stuff's going to be done in parallel. Yeah. Uh, we now that now that the House has voted on the debt ceiling and, and and as part of that bill, we said let's make the fiscal 2022 levels our baseline for 2024. So mm. the the federal budget that starts uh, September or October one. Sure. So now the Appropriations Committee is starting their work. 
So they're out looking at uh, the details to fit under that those, those parameters, those dollar spending levels. Sure. And so I think they'll they'll have we'll probably be voting uh, if not late June and early July in the House on the appropriations for fiscal uh, 2024, and then it goes over to the Senate for them to vote on. That'll be about the time frame that we finish up with the the debt ceiling discussions, okay. based on what uh, Secretary Yellen and you know some of the the, the big uh, banks are estimating when the extraordinary measures will run out. So I was going to ask you, what are she keeps saying they're using extraordinary measures to keep paying? What are those extraordinary measures? So, Do we so, know? So it's it's all at the secretary's discretion okay. of what happens. So basically, instead of issuing new debt to pay our bills. What she's doing is taking the cash that comes in, paying the outgoing uh, obligations, whether it's paying interest on a on a on a note or whether it's paying off Social Security or other things. Sure. But she's not doing things like depositing money into the federal retirement system mm. or not uh, issuing on behalf of states uh, new debt. Yeah. that the states could then utilize for some of their programs. So uh, it, it is, they, they call it extraordinary measures, but but basically it means uh, just juggling around without creating real new debt. Almost the, like a family budget. You it, actually have to just move money around a little bit to make sure to pay the right. debts here, it's, which is not a bad thing. Is it true that even if we don't end up passing a bill, is it true even if we shut down the government or whatever that we would not default on debts because that would be the number one priority with whatever tax revenue comes in. So the, the issue is right now is we we have enough revenue coming in to pay 80% of our current spending. So we could continue to pay wow. that 80% of it. The problem is we're borrowing that other person. That goes back to one out of $5 that are being spent is yeah. borrowed. So you could easily prioritize. In fact, that's exactly what the secretary's doing right now is she is prioritizing the bills she is paying and and not making some payments yeah. or deposits into the retirement account or other things uh, that, that she could do because of that, that extra one out of five dollars that there's not issuing new debt for. That almost seems like, and we're, we're almost out of it, we got like 30 seconds here, that almost seems like that's where the politics comes into play because if we're only needing to borrow 20% to cover d- bills that go out on a monthly basis, and if something like this happens, it's at the discretion of the Treasury Department to decide what's not getting paid out, which falls into the politics of how bad do we want the consumer to get hit for them to see the impact of what you guys are not doing. And that really does get into the propaganda or misinformation standpoint. And, mm. and wh- whether it's Schumer or Biden or or the secretary, in any case, they talk about how bad it would be. Yeah. Uh, and, and Republicans don't want to don't want to default on a day. I mean, we want to pay our obligations, but we need to have the revenue to pay off our spending. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online at aarp.org slash for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Glenda's back on the line with us this week. Glenda, how are you today? I'm doing well today, Andy, and you? Doing great. Always good to chat with you. We talk a lot about the Fraud Watch Network, but let's step that aside for just a moment this week, and let's talk about some community service awards. I know you guys talk about this quite a bit, especially at the beginning of the year when a lot of the nominations come in for these certain type of awards. If you do certain things for your community or if you can nominate other people or organizations or businesses for these awards, but where are we and when are these awards going to be announced? Absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, 
Andy, first of all, we want to just really acknowledge that May is Older uh, Adults Month. And so with that being said, uh, recognizing older adults during this month, we want to also highlight the fact that we are announcing our um, Andrews Awards and the and nominations are now open for those. And they are open and they're open for it's the 2023 Andrews Awards for Community Service. And this award honors our 50 plus Kansans who are sharing their experience, their talent and their skills to enrich the lives of their community members. And we're very excited to be able to do that. So the nomination opens, it's open now, and it's open until July 5th, uh, the 15th. And there's some criteria that, uh, you know, one must possess to be nominated. I love that. Well, let's talk about some of those qualifications on how you actually qualify for these. Yes, you can nominate someone. First of all, they need to be, they must be 50 years or older. And then they, uh, we're going to focus on highlighting their, uh, their achievements, their accomplishments, and their service. And we want this to be absolutely aligned with the uh, AARP vision and our uh, mission. And it has to be nonpartisan achievements. And couples and partners can that work together, uh, they can also uh, qualify. It's absolutely nonpartisan. And um, if you received an Andres Award uh, in the past, you're not eligible. But we really want people who are doing great community service that you can replicate or it's really inspiring others to be volunteers. That's the kind of service we're really looking for uh, nominations to come from all parts of Kansas. Oh, I love it. Uh, again, when is the deadline and how do people actually nominate these individuals? How do they go online and, and uh, put their nominations in? Sure. A nomination is found at our website and it is aarp.org slash ks. And the Andrews Award is really there. Uh, that that article is there telling us all about it. And you click on the nominations um, uh, line there. And once you click on that, the word nominations, it will take you to the form. And there you are able to go out and choose the state of Kansas as where you're going to nominate uh, your um, the recipient from and just answer several questions that ask you about their community uh, involvement and what they do and how they do it and how you know that um, that person. So just some what's really ex- inspired you to want to uh, do to nominate them and what would inspire their work you know, their volunteering would inspire others. So you just kind of talk about them through answering a few questions online and submitting it. Mm-hmm. It's a great and opportunity. It then, yes, and that comes back to Kansas, yeah. but it all goes into online. I love that. It's I can only imagine how difficult it's going to be. One reason I love the state of Kansas is that we have so many great people across the state that do so many good things for the communities that it's going to be pretty challenging to try and find one individual to win this award. You know, it is. It always is very challenging. We have a, a group of volunteers and uh, AARP staff who will go through those nominations and um, select the, the uh, recipient for 2023. And we're excited to see who that will be. That's very exciting. I love it. So one more time, what's the website for people to go in and submit? Yes, it's aarp.org slash KS for Kansas. And on our Website page is the article there, and the instructions by reading it tells you where to click and how you can nominate someone just by the click of your mouth. <laughs> Always great. We got just about a minute left here, but talk about what else is going on with the AARP. Obviously, with the springtime and warmer weather, it's time to get out and about. And I know the movies for grownups you guys have started up again, some stuff out in the communities, but what else is going on with the AARP? Right. Well, absolutely. We have the, um, the 
Movies for Grown Ups that will be coming up. But we also will be having our virtual concerts. And then uh, there will be potential thread events in the uh, Kansas City market area. So there's just different activities across Kansas and in our Kansas City metro area and in Wichita that you can get involved in by going to our, again, to our aarp.org slash KS events. You're able to find out what those events are specifically for your area. So many great community events. I love it. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Glenda, we appreciate it very much. Have a great week. Let's do it again next week. Okay. Thank you so much, Andy. You take care.